thank you, Diane. What a good word. Good word. Good reminder. Simple. The prospect of entering into and growing a personal relationship with Jesus is simple. The reality is that the Christian life is more about a relationship with Jesus than it is about keeping a list of religious rules and regulations. And at the heart of that invitation from Jesus is is this encouragement to follow him. At the heart of this relationship with Jesus is an invitation that he extends to people like us, people from all walks of life. And one of the guys that he invited to follow him was a guy named Matthew. And if you have your Bible with you, why don't you open your Bible now or or, uh, bring up your Bible app on your device and find the book of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament. Uh, The first four books, of course, are called Gospels. And sometimes you'll hear me refer to the Gospels as the Jesus books because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels of the Bible, are the story of Jesus. So we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And today we want to look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 1. You know, this takes me back to the days when I was a brand new follower of Jesus. And I didn't ask very many questions because I... I felt stupid. <laughs> but 9 colon 1, 13 colon 6, dash 7. I didn't know what that was. Somebody explained to me, well, the first number after the Bible book, like Matthew 9, that's the ninth chapter. The colon separates the chapter from the verse. So 9 colon 1 is chapter 9, verse 1. I didn't even know that. That's how new and fresh I was to the Bible. And maybe you're there this morning, so I take a moment to say that. Please follow along in your Bible as we read from Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had, been, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on, whoops, I'm sorry, I got mixed up there on the slides. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, 
Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, the very first thing we need to do this morning is just take a quick look at who this this man uh, called Matthew really is. Who is this fellow? It's the same guy who ended up writing the gospel that we're reading from. The gospel of Matthew was written by this same gentleman. And there never was a more unlikely candidate to follow Jesus or to write a gospel named after him. Matthew was a Jew. But he was also a tax collector, and he dealt with public money and public funds on behalf of the Roman government. He was employed by the Roman government, so to speak. The Romans occupied the land. Their soldiers filled the streets. Their laws governed the civil affairs of the people of Israel. Their magistrates ruled the courts. They had overrun Palestine. They were in charge. And they devised a very clever way to collect taxes from the residents of the country. They auctioned off the right to do so. And so people like Matthew, Jews themselves, would bid on the right to collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government. And that was not a very popular thing to do. Right? Uh, The man who bought the right to collect taxes from the government was responsible to the Roman government for a certain amount. So he had like a quota to meet. But anything over and above that quota, he got to keep. So obviously, (laughs) men being men, women being women, obviously this system lent itself to some radical abuse. People did not really know how much they had to pay for taxes, okay? Canada Post wasn't operating yet. There was no radio or television. Facebook and Twitter had not yet been invented, and so the masses really had no way of knowing exactly how much their taxes were. And furthermore, they had no course of appeal. Whatever the tax collector said you owed, you owed. And there was no, there was no appeal, no court of appeal. So it was a very unjust system. Very unjust. And citizens were just stuck with whatever the tax collector said they had to pay, they had to pay. The consequence was that many tax collectors became very wealthy men through illegal extortion. And our friend Matthew was probably one of them. He's a tax collector. And apparently there were all kinds of taxes to pay, three major taxes... There was a ground tax by which a man had to pay one-tenth of his income and one-fifth of his fruit and wine grapes to the government in cash or kind. There was income tax, 1% of a man's income. There was a poll tax to be paid by every male ages 14 to 65 and every female 12 to 65. That's why they tried to get these women, these girls married off early so dad didn't have to pay the poll tax. However, in addition to these so-called legal taxes, (laughs) there were all kinds of other taxes. You're interested in taxes, aren't you? You want to know about this, right? (laughs) 
Well, for example, there was a duty of between 2 and 12% on all goods imported and exported. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, Mike? There was a, a tax to be paid on, on travel on main roads to cross the Ambassador Bridge. You had to pay to enter marketplaces or towns or harbors. There was a tax. There was a tax on pack animals. And there was a tax on wheels and axles of carts. And there was a sales tax on all goods bought and sold. Tax upon tax upon tax. Sounds very Canadian, doesn't it? <laughs> all kinds of people were needed to collect all of these various taxes on behalf of the Roman government. And it was very easy for tax collectors to line their pockets with extra cash because nobody knew how much they had to pay. And all the tax collectors had to pay was the quota that they were responsible for to the government. So it's really easy. Isn't it? It's easy to understand why guys like Matthew, tax collectors, would be some of the most despised people on the block. I mean, you do not want to live next door to a tax collector, believe me. These guys had entered the service of their country's conquerors. In essence, they were in bed with the Romans. And they amassed fortunes at the expense of their next door neighbors and their fellow citizens. They were notoriously dishonest. And everybody, and I mean everybody, hated tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector. And who is the very first person that Jesus calls to follow him? Somebody that everybody else hated. I think Jesus missed the course on Business 101. That is not how you start a new enterprise. The first employee that you hire is the person that everybody hates. Not good for public relations for your new company. And what does Matthew do when he gets the invitation? Well, <laughs> he gets up and follows Jesus. No doubt Matthew had heard about this new teacher, this new prophet, this rabbi, named Jesus. No doubt he had heard that he kept uh, saying things that other people were interested in and, and the religious leaders in the community were not. No doubt Matthew had heard that, that uh, Jesus would take time to speak to people that, that everybody else shunned. And no doubt Matthew had listened on the outskirts of the crowd a time or two and no doubt his own heart had been stirred a little bit by the things that he had heard. And what happens next? You're not going to believe it. But they shared a table together at the Swiss chalet. <laughs> That's where all good rabbis and pastors and people go after church, right? They shared a table. No kidding. Jesus and Matthew have supper together. Just look at verse 10. Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. You get the picture? And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus reclined at the table. I was thinking 
Now, if we had a stage, I'd get a couch, and then I'd get David to come up here, and Mike Drake, and a couple other small guys like that, and I'd, I'd just lean on them. Because that's kind of the picture. This is a very casual meal. The, the, Jesus was very, very comfortable with these people. He's reclining at the table with them. With who? Tax collectors and sinners. And there he is. It, it's a very casual, friendly, familiar atmosphere. He's completely relaxed in the presence of these people. But there are the guys over on the corner. You know, they're standing up against the wall, you know, looking over their glasses at the rest of the shenanigans going on here. And they're insulted. These Pharisees who were absolutely dedicated to their religion, they were dedicated to the rules and regulations of the religion. They couldn't understand or accept why Jesus would eat with the riffraff. To the Orthodox scribes and the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, this was scandalous. You don't, you don't eat with these kind of people. Because when you eat with these kind of people, you get unclean. According to the rules and regulations that they had, you see. And how does Jesus respond? Well, have a look at verse 12. When he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said, I, I, I didn't come to invite people who are so self-satisfied and who are so self-righteous that they think that they don't need anybody else's help. I, I, came to, I came to call people to follow who are broken and desperately in need of a savior. That's who I came for. I came for the outsiders, not for the complaining insiders, the scrupulous scribes and Pharisees who are so worried about their rules and regulations. I came for people who are broken. He went where the need was the greatest. The scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, man, they were more concerned with the preservation of their system, their religious traditions, than they were with helping broken people find their way. They were quick to criticize and slow to encourage. They were far more concerned about pointing out the faults of other people than they were helping them walk in wholeness. They practiced a form of religion that produced condemnation rather than developing relationship that brought wholeness and hope and healing. And sadly to say, folks, there are a lot of churches like that today. A lot of churches that are way more concerned about their rules and regulations than they are in helping broken people. They get caught up in religion and they forget about the relationship that is the most important relationship that a man or woman could ever have in their entire lives. It gets buried. It gets lost. The relationship gets lost in the religion. And Jesus never, ever, 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 ever intended for that to happen. Ever. Ever. 
along he comes with a very simple invitation. Follow me. That's it. Follow me. You can see it right in the text. Follow me. And there's a period at the end. <laughs> Follow me. Hang out with me. Watch my life. Listen to my words. Watch how I speak to people. Watch how I treat women in this culture where women were worth less than, worth less than the animals. Watch me. Just, just, just follow me. Let's hang out together. <laughs> and several things came to light as I reworked this passage, this message for today. And first of all is the fact that the, the people that we consider out of reach are often closer than we think. Matthew. I think he would have been considered to be one of the most out-of-reach people on the planet <laughs> by those who were coming to know Jesus. A tax collector. Everybody hated Matthew, remember. He was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. Many years ago, when I first found faith in Jesus Christ, in my excitement, I told my father all about Jesus. And I encouraged my father to ask God to forgive him the way I had asked, asked the father in heaven to forgive me. And I'll never forget what my dad said. God can never forgive me for all that I've done. He thought he was out of touch, out of reach. He thought he was out of reach of God's grace, that his life was so bad and so ruined that God couldn't forgive him for all that he'd done. You know, and sometimes when we look at what a person has done or, or how they've lived or who they've slept with or the company they keep or the way they dress or the language they use or the tattoos that they have, we think they're out of reach. And, 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 and many times we are dead wrong. We're dead wrong. And I'm not just talking about that one end of, of, the, of the spectrum. Think about the other end. How many times have you thought to yourself, man, that guy has everything the world has to offer. I mean, he's got a million-dollar cottage up in Muskoka. He's got a boat. He's got, he flies all over the world. He wears thousand-dollar suits. He's got an Alfa Romero in the garage and a Corvette that he drives every day, and then he drives a Jeep in the winter. Guy like that, how am I ever going to... That guy is out of reach, we think to ourselves. That's the conclusion that we reach. He's out of reach. He's got everything that a man could ever want. So how is he going to see his need for Jesus? That's not for us to worry about. Jesus proved it when he invited Matthew to follow. And Matthew got up and followed him. Another observation. People nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. People, nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. 
And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. You may be sitting here yourself this morning thinking, man, I am so far from God. I am so lost. I, I am so different from Jesus and all of these followers of Jesus here at the gathering. This is a lost cause. I want you to know that nobody is beyond reach and that Jesus calls people like Matthew all of the time. He calls people all the time. I want you to know that Jesus likes people who are nothing like him. If you think of yourself far from God and unlike Jesus and unlike the people who look like they're following Jesus, then you are in, the, you are in good company. Jesus likes people like you. He likes tax collectors, and he likes sinners, and he likes prostitutes, and he likes drunks, and he, like, he likes people who are strung out on dope and, 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 and all the rest. He loves gays, and he loves lesbians, and he loves liars, and he loves gossips. He absolutely hates what that sin does to people. But he loves those people because they're created in the image of God. Are you with me? That's true. It's true. I mean, he gave his life. He gave his life for the NDP. <laughs> that says a lot right there, doesn't it? And the conservatives. Yes, he did. And he gave his life for Justin, what's his name, who wants to legalize pot? <laughs> and he's inviting you to follow him also. He's inviting you. He's just inviting you to follow him and get to know him, hang out with him. Observation number three. The people who are most likely to stay away... The, the people we are most likely to stay away from are the people Jesus is most likely to invite for supper. He liked to hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Go figure. And if you want to check me up on that, just, just read through the Jesus books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will see the kind of people that Jesus hangs out with. And they're the kind of people that make many of us uncomfortable. When I was at seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago, we took a course. It was called Introduction to Evangelism. And one of the things that we had to do was share our faith, our hope in Jesus, at least five times every week. And that wasn't too tough for me because we went to church downtown Chicago and, well, there's lots of people in need of Jesus in downtown Chicago. But one of my buddies, there was a little bar not very far from the campus, uh, a, a pub. And, and my, my friend would go in there every day after class was over and talk to people about Jesus. And when, when he had to report in class on, on his experience and sharing his faith with people and where he went to talk to people about Jesus, you could, you could hear the, the people that, you know, who's, the guys who had their shorts were a little too tight to go, <gasps> what? You know, they just got instantly uptight. You went to a bar to share your faith? He said, yeah, I... I kind of think that's what Jesus did because he hung out with sinners and prostitutes and people that went to the bar but you know some of us 
underwear is just a little too tight. I can't imagine going to a place like that. Well, the people we are most likely to stay away from are the very people that Jesus will invite over for supper. He enjoyed the company of men and women like that because men and women like that know they're far from God. They don't pretend to be close to God. They know they're far from God. Observation number four from this passage. People who decide to follow Jesus gain much more than they lose. It's true that Matthew probably lost a comfortable job when he started to follow Jesus. He did. He probably had to forfeit his job. But he found a destiny. He lost a good income, but he discovered a new purpose in life. He gave up comfortable security, but he he started into the adventure of a lifetime. And maybe, maybe if you accept the invitation to follow Jesus today, you'll end up losing something too. Maybe. But you will gain so much more than you lose. At one point in his life, the apostle named Paul said this from Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, caca, in order that I may gain Christ. You see, when you decide to follow Jesus, you you gain much more than you lose. It doesn't always appear that way on day one or day two or day three, but you look back and you say, man, oh man, am I ever glad I decided to follow Jesus. I have gained so much more than I've lost. And last but not least from this passage in Matthew chapter 9, the call to follow Jesus is a simple one. And the first step is always a baby step, right? Our granddaughter started to walk a little bit late, and my wife was a little nervous about that. But man, once she decided that walking was not all that much of a big deal and took her first step, she was off. Things like that always start with a baby step, and following Jesus needs to begin with a baby step too. You just take the first step. The first step is always a simple step. Jesus simply said, follow me. He doesn't give a whole lot of information or footnotes. There's nothing in the margin. It's just follow me. Come on, let's go. That's all he said. And Matthew got up and followed. Jesus didn't say, follow me and get your hair cut, you shaggy dog. (laughs) Jesus didn't say, follow me and obey this list of do's and don'ts. Jesus didn't say, follow me and give up all your hobbies and give up all your sports. And you can't cheer for the Montreal Canadiens anymore. (laughs) He didn't say that, although I wish he had. Um, I have a friendly rivalry going on with Alan Pachulero. 
He didn't say, follow me and give all of your money away to the church. He didn't say that. He, he just said, follow me. No bait and switch. No hidden agenda. No false expectations. Just follow me. Take the first baby step and see what happens. Maybe some of you will do that today. Just watch his life. Listen to his words. Hang out with him for a while. You don't have to have it all together before you start to follow. Matthew certainly didn't have it all together. I didn't have it all together. You probably don't either. And remember what Jesus said. Let's not forget what, what Jesus said. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I wish they'd put self-righteous. <laughs> I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I, I, I did not, I, I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. So if you start taking baby steps, you know, you, you really do start following. And once you start to follow, that many times that leads to belief. And then you realize that once you start to believe in Jesus, then you want to please Him and begin to obey. But all of that starts with one simple step. Follow me. So why not take the first step today? Why not say, I need, I, I'm going to start to follow. Why not? I mean, you have got nothing to lose and everything to gain by following Jesus. And soon you'll discover that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no better life than following Jesus. But give it time. It doesn't happen overnight for most people. Just follow him one step at a time, and he'll show you the way. Let's pray together. Father, we bow in your presence. We thank you for the invitation that Jesus extended to Matthew and people like him. Tax collectors and sinners and bus drivers and police officers and security guards and teachers. People from all walks of life. Jesus is still inviting us to follow him. And Lord, there may, be, there may be people in this room this morning who are listening to my voice, but they're actually hearing the Holy Spirit wooing them, calling them to follow. I said a moment ago, it all begins with a baby step. And maybe there are people here this morning who need to take or want to take that first step in following Jesus. So just do it. Take that first step. Acknowledge to God that you're making that step this morning by saying something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize this morning that I need you in my life. I don't know what that looks like at this very point in time, but I'm willing to start following to see what happens. I want to hang out with you. I want to... I want to read your words. I want to watch your life. I want to see how you live and move in the midst of your people called the church, specifically the gathering. 
So Lord, here I am this morning saying I'm willing to get up and follow just like Matthew. And Father, uh, we pray, I pray for all, all of the men and women in this room this morning who've made that decision, that choice to, to start to follow, to take the first baby step. And I pray, Lord, that you will draw them quickly, draw them to your word, draw them to yourself, show them who you really are, begin to show them step by step what it means to follow Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.